0: And welcome to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lose. The Gontrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today my guest is Max Montrose. Max is founder and current president of the Tricome Institute, a cannabis educational contact provider. He is the author of the National Cannabis Industry Textbook and is an educational advisor to government and business specializing in cannabis safety, education, and awareness. Through the Tricome Institute, he provides standardized cannabis trainings for cannabis employees and produces educational materials for all types of cannabis enthusiasts. Max has established the bud tender certification course and has developed the sommelier approach to cannabis variety types called interpreting. Today we're going to talk about best practices for bud tenders. Welcome to the show, Max.
1: Hey, thanks so much, Ingo. Pleasure to be here.
0: So Max, I think one of the important places for us to start are to talk about the attributes that make people good bud tenders. Because you know some people just seem to have the package of attributes that makes them warm and perfect in that environment. And I know you travel the country talking to all sorts of bud tenders and you educate them. So, so let's start with that. What makes a good bud tender?
1: There's, there's really two things that makes a good bud tender. And the first is someone who has good customer service skills because, um, you know, what you're doing is you're serving, uh, servicing customers and patients. And so being able to have good communication skills, um, good listening skills, and understanding what good, um, you know, customer service is, is, you know, the first attribute. But um, you know, you could have the best customer service in the world. You could be the nicest, friendliest person ever and um, not know a thing about uh, cannabis products and, and how many different kinds they are and how they work. So the second best attribute would be knowledge and understanding exactly um, what it is that you're doing and, and how to do it in the best way.
0: You know, since bud tender courses are just starting to come about as, as people like you put together this information to make them available, where in your experience do bud tenders usually find their information?
1: Well, that's actually something that um, tends to scare me, <laughs> because <laughs> in my experience, I, I have taken a ton of Bud tender certification courses online and in person, and um, I'm usually bothered by what I find, because the information is generally recycled, old information from online. And there's so much information about cannabis today that is just so wrong um, that people are certifying people in misinformation. And, you know, one of the best and easiest ways you can tell that is by um, asking any of these education providers, who has reviewed and approved your curriculum? Um, Because oftentimes the answer is nobody. Um, And so... (laughs) You know, generally, uh, people are finding a lot of information through um, dozens of cannabis education companies that are popping up left and right because it is becoming profitable to educate people in this business. But the question is, is how real and legitimate is that education?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, up to this point, the majority of bud tenders that I've come across have been simply like you know the friends and family of the shop owners. They want to hire somebody that they trust. They want to give their their nephew or niece a job. Um, and do you think that there, like a higher standard for bud tenders, is finally catching on? Are we to that point yet, or or do you think that standardization of practices for bud tenders is is still in an infancy and, and really hasn't made any hasn't made much progress yet?
1: It is in its super infancy still. Um, that's a fact. Uh, bud tenders are not looked at as um, as serious currently, but that's actually about to change. Um, and so, you know, Colorado is, you know, everybody knows Colorado is the pioneer state when it comes to this industry, except Colorado doesn't require any training um, whatsoever to be in this job. And so, you know, we have over 10,000 bud tenders in the state, and many of them don't know the difference between indica and sativa. The way, And they believe that they do, but, but if you ask them, it's very obvious that they don't um or i can't tell you how many people i've met who have no idea that edibles are a different drug than smoked flour or understand why cbd is different from thc um and so because businesses um you know i I don't really see businesses in colorado hiring friends and family Um, they hire people for nine dollars an hour ten dollars an hour and there's just an enormous line of applicants out the door that doesn't really require much uh, care or training whatsoever.
0: Gosh, all right. So I got to tell you, I'm really surprised to hear nine or 10 bucks an hour. Um, out out here um, on the West Coast, you know, 15, 14 seems to be um, more um, what is typical, but that really goes to show how many people in Colorado really want to use the bud-tending job as, as a uh, entry path into the industry where they're willing to work for near minimum wage just to get their foot in the door. And that makes sense, right? Because that can be a very... Um, you know, effective way to get in the industry, but but with so many people being uh, willing to work for less than they may make somewhere else, it kind of brings down the the rate of pay for everybody.
1: Well, it it does. Um, There is, you know, um, this is is such a big topic and it's so important and there's so many different angles to it. so first of all, let me say this. You're, you're 100% correct when you're talking about um, using it as an entry point into the business. Um, it's kind of like a little bit of a sacrifice if you're serious because this industry is not easy to get into. Um, and so that being said, I started out as a bud tender for $9 an hour and I now own multiple businesses in the industry and I know a lot of people who started out as bud tenders who are really doing great with fantastic businesses so it's definitely possible Um, unfortunately it depends on the business owner and there are so many old school owners you know OG's who treat this business very different than kind of corporate business owners do and so they really look at their bud tenders like tissue paper Um, you just pull one out and get a new one, uh, and they're just 10 bucks an hour, kind of a thing. It doesn't really matter. Like, why invest in their education? Why invest in their training? Which is really backwards thinking, because the dispensaries that do care, that do invest in their um, bud tender's training, they make better sales and are more profitable. And it's because people walk in, and people aren't stupid, you can walk into one dispensary and see okay this is a shop where nobody has a clue what's going on and therefore they don't feel safe purchasing products there where you walk into the other store next door and all of the bud tenders are trained they're certified they understand the products it's an entire different shopping experience and those stores are making more money
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense you know um, i think that it's uh, a common uh, mis, uh, or, uh, errant belief that that you know just being able to replace employees is a good thing versus you know being willing to put investments in your employees not only so that they can sell more effectively but because they'll stay around longer because they feel like you're investing in them that makes a lot of sense you know we're gonna take our first short break when we come back we're gonna start talking about the your bud tender certification course specifically you are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. <music> As a cannabis entrepreneur, you know how challenging recruiting quality talent can be. Your day's already busy enough, and yet there is an ever-growing pile of resumes on your desk, and your team is begging you to hire more help. Hiring the right person can make a profound impact on your company. There's no reason that you have to suddenly be an expert hiring manager. Not when there is Viridian Staffing. Viridian Staffing recruits solely for adult-use cannabis, medical marijuana, and hemp companies and those that service them. Viridian Staffing's recruiters each have over 10 years of experience, and they will use that experience to recruit the kind of employees that will make you look good. Whether you're looking for a master grower, extractor, grow room support, or trimming, Viridian can find an appropriate person in your area. They can even recruit administrative or graphic design professionals who may not need cannabis experience. Because you are a startup, you may also need human resources help for a while. Viridian staffing can make sure that your HR files are complete and keep you out of trouble with state and federal employment requirements. Because the cannabis industry is booming, cannabis recruiting companies are popping up all over the country, but good marketing does not mean good recruiting. Some of the recruiting shops that have opened are run by novices who do not yet have a thorough understanding of employment law and the complexities of hiring for cannabis. Don't hire an amateur to find you a professional. Consider Viridian Staffing to make that stack of resumes disappear and complete your team with exactly the hire you are hoping for. You can find out more at viridianstaffing.com. That's V I R I D I A N staffing.com. And now back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Max Montrose, founder of Tricome Institute. So, before the break, we were talking about the importance of properly educating bud tenders, both so that they're giving good advice and recommendations to the customers, but also because that ability causes them to sell more product, which is also good for the store. So, you know, Max, I know that one of the key things that you have developed education wise for the public is your your bud tender certification. So, you know, since in the first part of the show, we were talking about the kinds of things that, that bud tenders don't know. Let's talk about the kinds of things uh, that you're teaching them that they should know. So just give us an overview of the bud tender course. Sure.
1: Um, you know, to me, what a bud tender course is, is it's about bud tending. And, and what that means is selling cannabis products and so if you don't understand the differences between the cannabis products then how can you do your job and so so often when I take other people's bud-tending courses they just don't even mention the products they don't teach people what the biological and chemical differences of indica and sativa are And so I just don't understand how you're supposed to um, effectively educate the consumer on what the experience is they're about to have, because this is not selling ice cream or clothing. You're selling someone a psychoactive experience, and the differences between the products are, you know, from zero to a hundred. From you know a five milligram edible sucker to a you know ninety five percent THC dab, um, and so what our course really focuses on is the products. Now, obviously, um, as I said earlier in the show, you can't be a good bud tender without having good customer service. So that actually is the first chapter. How how what is customer service and how does that work? Um, and then you know we also cover. Things like uh, slang, how how okay is it to utilize slang in the job? Um, And, you know, sometimes it is okay, and it depends on the customer, and it depends on, you know, the situation and the scenario. Um, Our course is very down-to-earth because we've been bud tenders before. We've run dispensaries. We know how it goes. Um, But the the main focus of our course is the products in essentially our bud tender training and certification textbook, uh, which we license to other cannabis education providers worldwide, um, is essentially the Bible of any and all cannabis product that could ever be. Um, And so it literally breaks down every single hash and concentrate and how they are different from each other and how they should be. Vended um, responsibly by understanding each customer and patient' tolerant level and experience usage, so that you can make a responsible um, choice when helping people select these uh, psychotropic experiences.
0: You know that makes a lot of sense. You know, not only to have a standardized home that everybody's working from so that as as new information comes out of the science you can just simply upgrade the one book and it gets everybody on the same page um, but also you know for for tourists they'll be getting the same information when they come to visit Colorado as they as they will get when they you know they go to Washington or as they'll get when they go home to California or wherever you know so that people we are starting to get uh, uniformity in in education that sounds uh, like a really useful thing considering um, all the snafus we've had so far here in in early legalization so so let me ask you this so so often when I walk into a cannabis shop the bud tenders are you know sometimes staring off or chatting amongst themselves or or even worse I ask a question and I'm told either that they don't know the answer or that they they help to tell me something that I know is not accurate so so that for that first moment when the bud tender is interacting with the new customer how do you recommend that bud tenders handle that moment to it, to help the customer get the experience they're looking for.
1: I mean, that really just comes down to good customer service. It's not really product knowledge at that point. It's um, how do you put your cell phone away because you're on the job working. Mm. And you know, the thing is, is if people took um, people need to take bud tenders more seriously so that they hire more uh, more serious people. Um, the problem is, is because bud tenders don't receive um, any benefits or enough pay or education. Uh, generally, they hire some kind of stunky people, and so it's not uncommon to walk into a dispensary and be a little frustrated that you have an uneducated person trying to help you who really doesn't care. Um, and and that's something that needs to change in this industry, um, and it is changing because. the the dispensaries that are um, moving towards becoming more professional uh, are going to prevail, uh, especially just due to customer selection. Um, So, you know, when a new customer walks in the door, the first thing you need to do is analyze who your customer is by understanding what their tolerance is and their experience level, but also what their goals are and what their goals aren't. What to avoid. Uh, one of my biggest frustrations with Budtender Customer Service is they love to suggest the product that they love, mm. which is problematic because the things that they really love and appreciate with their extremely high tolerances might not be the, the perfect product for someone who is coming in who's brand new.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, so, so give an example, what are the couple questions that you would ask your customer to help tease out for them? Cause you know, like a lot of these people who are coming in the stores, they, they either have, haven't tried cannabis or they haven't tried cannabis since the seventies or the eighties when they were younger and before they had kids. So, so what are kind of some, some uh, questions that you can suggest to help bring that information out of the customer?
1: So my number one question, that I ask, that I start out with, kind of the icebreaker that also gives me the most amount of information, which is the least offensive to ask, is where are you from? Hmm. And the geography question is really incredible how much information you can get knowing where someone is from. And yeah, this might be profiling a little bit, but that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to profile, does this person come from a society that is knowledgeable in cannabis products because if they tell you that they're from Bend Oregon or Seattle Washington or Anchorage Alaska or Denver Colorado or Oakland California you probably don't have to hold their hands and describe to them the differences between indica and sativa in fact you would probably annoy them because they probably already know or believe that they know um, and so You know, if you find someone who's from a cannabis-friendly geography, uh, you just automatically know that they probably know more than most, even if they are new to it. Um, But you you don't know that for sure because everyone's different. And so um, that's when you would, you know, go further in asking, well, are you someone who's really experienced in cannabis? And, you know, if they tell you yes, then um, you know that the kind of shopping experience they want is one where they – They know what they're doing and they don't really need help unless they ask for it um, or or for the guidance versus when someone says, I'm from Oklahoma or Tennessee, then you can say, okay, um, how familiar are you with cannabis? And based on what they say, you might be able to understand that um, they either need uh, more help or not. And so uh, I think that's a really good starting point.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And you know, another thing that I liked uh, while doing my research about the bud tender course that you put out is is the understanding of, of, you know, kind of where you draw the line on how much education a bud tender should have to be able to, you know, offer these concierge-level services, you know, because, for example, you know, um, you know, part of the ability to direct a customer to the right product would realistically involve understanding the different forms of THC and their effects, the, the other cannabinoids like CBD, CBV, CBN, CBG, and of course, like THC to CBD ratios and how they work with different ailments in case the person is, you know, truly a patient. You know, how much of that information do you think is necessary for the bud technology? You know, for the examples I gave, do you think they should know all of that, or do you think that you know, so long as they can gently direct you to, to products, that's enough for what they're being paid today?
1: They ha- it has to be a gentle amount of the the very technical information um, for a few different reasons. You know, when we're teaching bud tenders who specifically work in uh, medical dispensaries. The number one thing we train them is you can't give medical advice, not just because we think it'd be be a good idea not to, because it's against the law, and you yourself could get in trouble, not even just your shop. I mean, you can get in trouble. I have to remind bud tenders uh, from time to time that there are certain things that they do in this business that could have handcuffs thrown on them, and it's kind of like a little bit of a reality check. Because uh, sometimes they get a little jaded after three months being on the job and they think it's easy. Um, and so, you know, the most important thing is is you're not a doctor. And so when you're selecting medicine for someone, the way that you go about that needs to be careful and gentle. Um, that's just a reality. And so you can suggest to people things that you know based on quality trainings and personal experience. But um, you know, a lot of the times, understanding cannabinoid ratios doesn't really even matter unless you understand the endocannabinoid system. And then we're getting into medical science. And I've never met a bud tender in my life who has had any amount of medical training. Um, and so the Trichome Institute is not a medical training facility. We, we understand cannabis and, and what it does and how it works. And that's what a bud tender needs to know too. They need to know what cannabis is and how it works and recommend what is going to happen to a patient when they take these specific products. And, you know, the best thing that you can do is have uh, the product reps train the bud tenders themselves on how their products work specifically. Because some of these products are more detailed than what a general education can give you. Um, And so, yeah. That's what I'd say.
0: Yeah, right on. You know, I must admit, your answer kind of went counter to what I was expecting, which is always a pleasant surprise for me during interviews, because, uh, you know... um I was thinking, I was expecting your answer to be, oh, they should know all of this stuff so they can pass on uh, proper care. But realistically, you're right. It is more of a risk for both the bud tender and for the store to be giving this information. And and in some cases, uh, I can imagine store owners having to you know, be in a position where they're discouraging a really educated bud tender from going as far as the bud tender can simply because they're dispensing information while, you know, they may be accurate about the functioning of the endocannabinoid system and, and, you know, a CBD to THC ratio for, you know, a daily supplement or something like that. That's not really their role at this part, at this point, and it could actually get them in trouble. And so so maybe actually just, you know, providing, you know, knowing where to stop is an important thing.
1: It is. And, and, and I mean, here's the reality at the same time. Bud tenders aren't paid well, good enough to be educated well enough to understand those complicated things to a point where they actually could give good advice. I mean, I've, it is dangerous how many bud tenders, you know, think they know what they're talking about and are advising patients, you know, um, you know th- this is how products work and, uh, and they couldn't be further from the truth. And, and that can get dangerous because um, people are using these products, uh, you know, for serious medical reasons. Um, one of the things that drives me the most insane in this industry is the strain name dilemma. I mean, I can't tell you how many patients walk in and say, I'm looking very specifically for this type. And you just say, well, why? Well, because I heard on the internet or I read from a website or an app that this strain works in this way. And it's like, okay, you do know that all the strain names are made up, right? Like I'm the guy who relabeled them because the pound came in uh, and it didn't have a name associated to it. So I had to come up with a name that I knew people associate uh, as brand trustability. So I'm going to counterfeit uh, Blue Dream and I'm going to call this pound Blue Dream. Okay. And so in Colorado, we have 250 types of Blue Dream because 249 of them aren't Blue Dream. And so if you use a website to understand how a strain is and how it will affect you. And there are some websites out there, some multi-million dollar huge ones that I know everyone knows who I'm talking about, um, who are like, listen, this is a strain and this is how it works. And it's like, well, where did your information come from? Oh, it's agri—it's aggregated from thousands of unregistered stoners who have no idea what they're talking about. That's who's telling you how these genetics work. Um, and then the thing is, is, uh, you know, if you have a, a, a patient who's got PTSD, they're coming in and they're asking you to help them uh, prevent a paranoia experience. And there are more types, there's lots of types of cannabis that induce paranoia. And the thing is, is you can detect which strains are paranoia inducers based on science, Based on the smell of the bud and the structure of the bud and the features of it, more than the name that was most likely counterfeited down the line in the black market before that genetic reached the hands of a legal market, which is our situation today. Um, And so, you know, the strain name thing is, is a big one for me.
0: Yeah, I can believe that. And, um, you know, it, it can even be in, uh, influenced by the particular grower and how they handled the crop and what terpenes were brought out by the particular nutrients that um, that they put into it. So you're right. It's it's really messy. And, you know, I kind of got a laugh about it. I had not really considered the fact that, you know, most of the online databases for strains are crowdsourced, which, you know, that's the same reason why I hate using stuff like, you know, a lot of these... Uh, you know, uh, medical websites, right? Like WebMD and these places that that well, right, maybe not WebMD, but the other places where you know you you kind of Google your ailment and they all tell you you have like Ebola and or a cancer and you're probably gonna die, right? It's just, it's just all these people posting their their fears and concerns. Similarly, with with the cannabis sites, you you're you've got the response from one cannabis enthusiast in one part of the country from one experience, and they're probably right, writing it high then and that's that's a bad way to uh, crowdsource information you know we need to take another short break we'll be right back and we will be talking about um, uh, the complexity of uh, suggesting edibles to tourists we'll be right back the Gontrepreneur podcast is listened to by tens of thousands of cannabis entrepreneurs and enthusiasts every single week these folks are most likely your target customers and we'd like to introduce you to each other Our down-to-earth and information-rich commercial breaks can deliver your message to the cannabis business community and others who just find relief in getting high. If you want to reach out and connect with our audience in the most personal way that we can offer, go ahead and drop us an email at grow at gontrepreneur.com and we can talk about you becoming a commercial sponsor of the podcast. Thanks for listening and being part of the Gontrepreneur family. Now back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Max Montrose, founder of the Tricome Institute. So, before the break, we were talking about the importance of giving accurate information uh, to customers when they come into the cannabis shop. And, you know, one of the most difficult things to give feedback to a customer on is edibles because they affect people so differently, right from how their body, you know, you You know, handles it to also the milligram requirement from somebody who's a newbie to somebody who has got a high tolerance. You know, what do you teach bud tenders, Max, so that they can give safe and reliable information to somebody who may be new to edibles?
1: So everything that we teach from the Trichome Institute, our our rule is we do not teach misinformation. And so how you can guarantee that you're not going to teach misinformation is by collecting your data from the most reliable resource from the very top from the beginning. And that's what we do. Um, So in Colorado, the state advertises constantly public service announcements, little cards and dispensaries everywhere. And now the cannabis trainers out here do this exact same thing. The state of Colorado has this... um, this kind of set idea about edibles that says you know start low and go slow which is true but what they mean by that specifically is start with 10 milligrams and wait two hours it's like okay well is that scientifically true or do you just think that that would be the best way to begin and the answer is it's not scientifically true at all and what we do is we look at the science of cannabis how does cannabis work scientifically and so if you want to go to the top, the world's authority on cannabinoid pharmacokinetic pharmacology is Dr. Franjo Grottenherman of Nova University. That's where we get our medical cannabis science from. And if you research that science, it you know, that science suggests from Franjo that some people don't feel the effect of an edible until 6 hours. So if you were to you know, use the Colorado recommendation, 10 milligrams every two hours, if you're someone who is going to get obliterated from five milligrams but you don't feel it in a six-hour period, you're going to have 30 milligrams of uh, THC. Um, in the time period that uh, that you would wait to feel it and then you're going to get the train wreck effect, which is the cars will stack up and hit you as the effect you know continues to hit you um, as the hours keep stacking if that makes sense yeah,
0: it creates a cascading effect
1: it does it does and so we don't say um, you know ten milligrams in two hours, we say less than five milligrams and wait all day long because what what would it hurt if you didn't have a terrifying experience. Well, it would, it, it would be a good thing if you didn't versus uh, the, the opposite way. You can always eat more later. You can't take away what your stomach is digesting once you've eaten too much. And so we tell people to really take it easy. And the reason why is because edibles are a completely different drug than every single product that could be sold in the dispensary, period. And most people don't know this. And it baffles me that uh, companies who own edible manufacturing um, facilities who, who literally make millions of dollars producing these products have no idea that they make a, chemical, a chemically different drug substance than all other dispensary products. And the difference is THC being digested through the liver instead of getting into the blood system. So, you know, smoking cannabis... Vaping cannabis, um, tincture cannabis, sublinguals, and transdermals will all enter your blood system and get into your cannabinoid, your endocannabinoid system, uh, your CB1 and your CB2 through your blood system. And, And that doesn't change the molecular property of delta 9 THC. But delta 9 THC is not water soluble, and you are water yourself, and you excrete. Um, uh, extra chemicals through water bases, So your liver kind of has to make uh, delta-9 water soluble. And it does just that. It literally takes elements of the molecular chain and it rearranges the molecule so that it's a water-soluble format. And the water-soluble format and first metabolite of delta-9 is a different kind of psychoactive. It's 11-hydroxy-THC, not delta-9-THC. And that molecule just so happens to work differently because it's a different molecule. It's unbelievably similar, unbelievably close. Um, like the difference between oxycotton and oxycodone, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a little tweak. But that tweak makes a huge difference. And the difference is um, 11-hydroxy can become exponential. And what that means is your five milligrams could turn into an effect that's really more like 25 milligrams. And so if you eat a 100 milligram chocolate bar because you're from Oklahoma and your bud tender wasn't educated and didn't tell you, you're not supposed to eat the whole damn thing. You're only supposed to eat a tenth of the bar. This is why the state of Colorado has a 400% increase in ER visits from edible hospitalizations specifically and most specifically from out-of-town people. People who aren't from cannabis geographies who don't know and bud tenders who aren't explaining to them how this stuff works.
0: And and even though, you know, taking that much cannabis, you know, it's certainly not going to kill them. They are going to have a bad experience that may scare them off cannabis and might cause them to cause, call the paramedics. But even though we know scientifically they're going to be fined, they're going to have a traumatic emotional experience and we want them to avoid that.
1: Yeah, and... I'm going to touch on something that um, is is really serious, and is another thing a lot of people don't really know, and it's something that the cannabis industry just needs to come to grips with because it's a reality. Unfortunately, eleven hydroxy more than delta nine um, is it is it, it is a for sure thing that it's specific eleven hydroxy that has caused. Uh, more than just a few times in the state of Colorado, um, uh, what do we call that? Uh, Non-permanent edible-induced psychosis. And you can um, actually read the reports of how old these people were, uh, the fact that they are cannabis users for years and years and years with highly developed tolerances, who, for whatever reason, bought a chocolate bar. And yes, we actually make medical cannabis chocolate bars in the state that are 500 milligrams, 500. And because edibles can chemically become two to six times stronger, we're, we're talking about an experience that is... Thousands of milligrams of 11 uh, hydroxy, and it is literally causing people to lose their minds for up to 24 to 48 hours, and they're put into the psychiatric ward. And we did have one guy who uh, pulled out the gun and shot his wife, blew her brains out, and another guy who jumped off the balcony in the same week. Okay, and this is the kind of stuff where. Um, People who are advocates against cannabis are using stories like this to try to shut down our entire industry. And it doesn't have to be that way. The, the key here is education, okay? If you don't know that it's like what 500 milligrams means in a chocolate bar, that's dangerous. Uh, you know, everyone, um, if I asked you, Shango, uh, if I said a pint of beer equals a glass of wine equals how much spirit you would say a shot yeah <laughs> okay but if i ask someone from oklahoma or from you know anywhere else even people from denver colorado okay even even blood tenders people who know weed and should, know better, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it should know better like do you understand like uh the ratio difference of edible milligrams no nobody does okay? This is where education is really, really critical. Uh, Edibles are a serious thing. And that's why we take them seriously. And that's why we utilize science from the very, very top. And which is why all of our education is reviewed and approved by the highest authorities of cannabis law, science, and medicine. And
0: and Max, nobody wants to hear the story that you just said, you know? I mean, I'm (laughs) thinking about the ramifications and like, I can, I can imagine the audience shaking their head and some people getting pissed at you for saying this but but that's the problem with the story that you're 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 bringing out because those of us who are cannabis enthusiasts a we don't want to believe what you're saying and b we don't want the the prohibitionist folks to be able to use that kind of a story against the industry but we are in a brand new day of people using cannabis, and obviously, we're going to learn more about uh, cannabis use as suddenly all these new people are using it. And so, a story like you're saying, if, if it gets played from the prohibitionists, all of us enthusiasts are going to go, Oh, that's BS studies, and you can't believe them because they just, you know, they were brought up on DARE. And then, then, people on our side, we just want you to shut the hell up because we don't want you to ruin. In the industry by suddenly you know creating a situation where cannabis can be called dangerous. but really the heart of the matter is that uh, as a society and as a culture we are becoming reintroduced to this powerful herbal supplement in our lives and really talking about this so that we all can have the proper education while hard is something that we have to do.
1: Yeah and let me let me just put it to you this way. I didn't believe this edible-induced psychosis thing. And when I was actually working with the health department, I kept telling them that they're all crazy and out of their minds, and this is just um, this is just uh, propaganda rhetoric. This is reefer madness shit. But. The reality is is I did the research myself and I looked into it and I read the hospital reviews and I read the bios on who these people were and how experienced with cannabis they were and I read the things that they were saying during their um, non-permanent psychosis. And I think that's another important part. You're not going to go crazy forever. You could either have the worst experience ever. You could either pass out and wake up the next day fine, um, but it is people who are um, kind of their brains are more set up for psychosis where edibles just kind of snap the, the, the point that kind of keeps them in line. But it, it isn't forever. But the thing is, is it is real and true. And guess what else is real and true? Dabbing is really, really dangerous. Oh, <laughs> and, <man. laughs> and, and people, you know, some people, um, they watch interviews of me uh, explaining this and, you know, the dab heads get really upset and frustrated with me. But for all of the people who had no idea what happens to your CB1 receptors when you dab and specifically what you dab and how you dab it. People thank me all day long for saving them from from doing something that they were doing on a daily basis that they didn't understand could have really potential negative consequences in the future. And so the thing is, is if you're an adult and you understand what the dangers are, what the risks and the rewards are, You're totally allowed to go do whatever you want. I mean, I don't care what you do. You can jump off a cliff. You can shoot heroin. People are allowed to be people. Adults are allowed to be adults. But it is not fair to anyone to allow someone to engage in something that's potentially dangerous without them knowing it. That's not, that's not okay. So as long as people understand what the dangers are, they can actually navigate how to do dabbing the right way because there are types of dabbing that aren't bad for you, that aren't dangerous. But the question is, is well, what's the difference between proper and non-proper dabbing? And it takes a little bit
0: of time to explain that. It's not rocket science, but if you don't know, you probably should know. So Max, you know, um, it was almost time. I mean, it is time for us to wrap up the show, but there's no way that I can let you go without <laughs> getting. And, and you know, you you are an intentional and and you have a, a slow cadence to your speech, but we need to hear this, right? So can you can you give me the 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 90 second version of safe dabbing versus unsafe dabbing? Because if I don't ask the question, I'm going to get all this hate mail about well, you, he was right there and you had him. Let's hear it. So 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 break it down for me, but but do so swiftly because we're almost out of time
1: nope i'm not gonna do it <laughs> <laughs>
0: i'm just kidding man um- uh, one thing I'll say
1: is uh, there's so much to know, Like it's more than edibles, it's more than dabbing. Um, I have literally published four textbooks worth of information that people should probably know and um, how we update people on how this stuff is coming out and when it's coming out is by signing up on um, our email listing on our webpage because we're constantly updating education and our education is constantly getting better. So um, when a lot of this online stuff is coming out, I'd love to to inform people when that is so uh, if people wanna stay up to date with this kind of stuff um, I highly recommend our newsletter especially because every newsletter we send out we give free articles and free videos of me explaining things like this from time to time to make uh, to make it interesting um, but so that we don't piss off any viewers the, the difference between safe and unsafe dabbing is is what you're dabbing and how you dab it and so um, there actually is no science that heating up a titanium nail Um, doesn't produce off gases of titanium when inhaling the soft metal Um, and a lot of people will say well you know the titanium is um, medical grade titanium and it's like great when they put medical grade titanium into your body do they heat it up as a soft metal thousands of times over and over again and do you inhale the vapor off of it? No. Okay, So we don't know that um, heating little pieces of metal and smoking off them aren't dangerous. But I've actually seen people dab with paper clips when they couldn't find another tool to use. Well, paper clips are really soft aluminum, and aluminum is a neurological retardant. So if you're pressing aluminum to a hot plate and sucking off of that, you are damaging your brain um, in a really heavy way. Um, The other thing are the parts per million. Um, And in Colorado, we have an accepted uh, legal limit of 800 parts per million of flammable uh, um, uh, BHO, uh, butane, okay? So it is okay to have 800 parts per million of a flammable gas uh, that you literally suck through your uh, cerebral cortex uh, via uh, dabbing. And a lot of dab heads I actually got some uh, grief from when I considered it freebasing. But if you understand the definition of freebasing, dabbing is freebasing. Um, And so, you know, you're not just freebasing cannabinoids. You're freebasing a lot of toxic crap. And a lot of people don't know that um, uh, CO2 favors pesticides and fungicides more than it does cannabinoids Hmm. and so because pesticides and fungicides are unregulated and people are dumping gallons of toxic chemicals on flowers which really maintain them through the sticky trichomes when you concentrate that Just know that we're already, sometimes the grows already spray more than four times the legal EPA limit for what we consider for food on cannabis, which you smoke. And then when you concentrate that, it it sometimes can become 10 times uh, higher. So four times times 10 times, we're talking about 100 times more uh, bigger than the EPA limit of poisons that you're now freebasing. (laughs) Like to to your brain. Okay. Um, And so it's more than just the residual part per millions of uh, the solvents. It's poisons that the extraction method is condensing. And then, you know, at the end of it, what happens is, is, isn't it amazing that a dab is 95% THC, but the experience only lasts 15 minutes? Well, why is that? And the reason why is because your cannabinoid, uh, your cannabinoid receptors in your brain, your CB1s, are so heavily overloaded, every single receptor is loaded at once, that you're actually, um, the, the vast majority of what you're dabbing gets wasted and the uh, cannabinoids are just flying through your brain and your brain really doesn't know what to do with it so it shuts down your receptors by killing them and turning them off to protect yourself because your body doesn't understand what's happening with this violent ingestion of cannabinoids. And so um, what that means is you are literally mowing down your cannabinoid receptors which is your ability to perceive cannabis. So euphoria is out the window and your tolerance is going skyrocketing up, which is why dab heads get frustrated smoking flour. They can't get high smoking a joint with their friends anymore. And it gets really scary when dab heads bring their dab kit to concerts with them or to the bar. I'm not kidding. I've had buddies pull out a dab rig on the bar because that's their only method of getting off at this point because... um, They've mowed down their ability to perceive cannabis in a in a in a more gentle way, um, and so. <laughs> the, uh- that's kind of that's heavy. I think yeah. that's heavy.
0: Yeah, um. that is really heavy. Yeah, and, and you know, you're, I can imagine that you're kind of splitting the audience, you know, into to one group who are feeling liberated by the information that you're providing, and then the other part that you're really pissing off because you sound like a dare ad, right? But yeah. I, you know, I know you to be a very dedicated cannabis lover who want who understands the medicinal benefits, and actually, you just want people to use it. Right, and this is information that is not getting spread around, and this is why we had you on the show.
1: I appreciate that. And so, before I piss everyone off, I'll just say that there is an okay and a proper way to dab, and that's more of your, um, your rosin um, things that cannabis that wasn't spray, sprayed with chemicals, organic cannabis that was extracted with a non solvent, so you've got 0.00 part per million, and you dab glass on glass. Period. If, you're, if you've got a glass dab rod and you've got a glass nail and you're using a really clean extract that has no residual solvents or poisons, what's the problem? There isn't one, okay? So if you're gonna be a dabber and that's boutique and you love that experience, you should do that. And also some really critical medical patients benefit from dabbing. People who have MS, whose bodies become so constricted uh, with their brain lesions firing off that they don't have enough time to sit there and smoke a bowl or smoke a joint because they can't move, they're physically stuck. I've actually given my own MS patients, I've put the rig up to their lips and if they can at least inhale that amount of medicine that it works that fast, their bodies relax instantly and and they're almost, I mean, whatever their problem is, is solved at the snap of a finger because it's a dab, okay? And so, um, and this is America. People should have a free choice. Uh, It would suck if all beer was only 3.2%, okay? (laughs) Um, So some people like whiskey and the harder stuff. So take a dab. I just want you to know the difference between positive dabbing and uh, potentially really dangerous dabbing. And and that's all.
0: Right on, Max. Well, I'm really glad that there's somebody like you willing to, to say the hard stuff who's putting together the curriculum for bud tenders around the country. Thank you so much for being on the show, Max.
1: Thank you, Shane. I really appreciate it.
0: Max Montrose is the founder and president of the Tricome Institute. You can find out more at tricomeinstitute.com, And I really do recommend that you go to check out the website. Um, not only can you uh, sign up for the newsletter that Max was talking about, where you can get updated information, like the surprising things he's been saying during this third part of the show. But also, we never got a chance to talk about the um, uh, Interpreter uh, uh, Salmaier certification uh, program that he offers where you study terpenes intensely and you approach it as a wine connoisseur. It's it's really interesting stuff and it's there on the website at trichomeinstitute.com. You can find more episodes of the Gantrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at Gantrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gantrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the Gantrepreneur.com app in both iTunes and Google Play. For info on me and where I will be speaking, you can go to ShangoLos.com Do you have a company that wants to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email grow at Entrepreneur.com to find out how. Today's show is produced by Michael Rowe. I'm your host, Shango Los.